Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And today, we're going to talk about beer. I'm really delighted to have on our show today Craig Torres of Hop City and um, Jonathan Baker of Monday Night Brewing. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much, Doreeny. I love drinking in the mornings. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's a great way to start the day. Now, drinking what is the question? Well, we're drinking Nerd Alert this morning. It's, uh, it's our Pilsner. Oh, great. So, gentlemen, I mean, you're both in different parts of the beer business. Um, and so I'd love to start off by uh, Craig and Jonathan just telling us a little, having you tell us a little bit about what you do. So I'd like to think of myself as a, sort of a connoisseur of a lifestyle, if you will. Uh, so I own... A, connoisseur of a lifestyle. Yes. So, so we can think of this as retail. Retail is fun. So I, I own Hop City Craft Beer and Wine. Hop City is the uh, Southeast's largest selection of craft beer and wine uh, east of the Mississippi. And it's, um, we have three stores, soon to be four. And we really... Yeah, how about that? Uh, so we really focus on... Uh, keeping a, a huge selection of of all the great beer, anything you can imagine drinking, anything we legally can carry in the state of Georgia, we're going to have at Hop City or Alabama, as it turns out. We have a store there as well. But retail is so boring, right? We don't want to call ourselves retail anymore. So we are a, we're a lifestyle store. So people who enjoy craft beer, the finer things in life uh, on the alcoholic side, uh, not not spirits, of course, just uh, just beer and wine. That's what we specialize in. But one of our collateral Call, we'll call it opportunities, has been in the homebrew category. So I am, used to be an avid homebrewer. I don't have time as much as I used to, but um, that's actually how Jonathan and I got to know each other, because he was a homebrewer um, before he actually owned a, a, a fancy brewery. But we sell all the homebrew surprises you'd ever need as well. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan, tell us about your fancy brewery, brewery and, and Nerd Alert and other, other beers. Yeah, so that's really all you need to know is we have a fancy brewery in Atlanta. No, uh, so... <clears throat> Started brewing beer out of a garage on the west side of Atlanta in 2006, just with some friends um, recreationally. And and Craig had the store nearest us that carried homebrew supplies. So we got to know him that way and uh, opened up a brewery in 2011, coming up here on our five-year anniversary. Yay. We distribute in Georgia and Alabama. We have uh, six core beers, including the Nerd Alert, which we're drinking now, and Slap Fight, which is our... Uh, West Coast style, uh, India Pale Ale, um, and our our beers kind of tend to be balanced, and they tend to pair well with food. So those are the two things that we go with when we're uh, developing a new recipe. Great. So as I always like to ask um, my CEO guests, tell us a little bit about trends in in your industry that you think would be of interest to other middle market CEOs. Absolutely. So we we talked about what we do being what I do being a, more of a lifestyle than it is a, um, a a retail and I think that's really the key uh, and I'll look at this as a broad retail segment and then specifically into uh, I guess you could narrowly define me as a package store mm-hmm. um, we're under a lot of pressure competitively from from the people who have way more money than we do okay and when I say that I, not to pick on anyone particularly but obviously you have uh, Walmarts and the Costcos and um, you know there are some uh, mac- macro chains in my segment, things like Total Wine or, or Bevmo, depending on what part of the country you're in, um, they're probably going to sell what you sell for less money. Okay, so you really can't. I don't feel we can compete 
Uh, we, we're priced competitively. I think many days we're probably priced at the same point they are. But inevitably, I cannot compete with them on price alone. Um, so my first piece of advice specifically is figure out your niche and and work your niche and make it make it so that where you go, where you where you've created as a destination, isn't that a destination and um, some place that you could go and uh, have an experience and not just simply an, an opportunity to buy something. Mm. Um, so that's my number one piece of advice. Uh, and we, I think we figured that out early on. In fact, that was my whole, um, that the root of my entire idea of Hop City was create a destination for the craft beer enthusiast, where frankly, in Atlanta, there was none. Other cities had places like that. Uh, I think of Brews and Ales in Asheville, uh, Jonathan, if you've ever yeah, been. Yeah, it's a great, great spot. One of my favorite stores um, to shop for beer. And it's a tiny little place. And I thought, wow, it'd be cool to do this in Atlanta, but in a in a bigger way, in, in, a, in a more complete way. Hmm. And so that that's really my number one piece of advice. Well, and, and bragging on Craig a little bit, um, one of the great things about his store is he organized it by style instead of by brand, mm. which was for a first for the time. And so if you're coming in, uh, you know, as a new craft beer drinker, um, you can actually say, oh, well, I like I like this beer by uh, uh, Kugel or whatever. And so, you know, that was a poor choice. So I'll probably like all these other beers in the same row. And so it makes it easier for the craft beer drinker to actually get deeper into craft beer. Yeah. And that was really my number two piece of advice. And and I think Jonathan hit the nail on the head. Figure out not simply within the fact that you've, you've created a destination or an experience, but what merchandising wise can you do that separates you from from the big guys? Um, and again, I don't know if you've ever shopped at a a, a Costco or a, a Kroger for beer specifically or wine for mm-hmm. that matter. Mostly hot dogs myself. Yeah, <laughs> the pizza is great. Now, uh, in all seriousness, there is no merchandising. It's right. um, it's a pile here or a stack here, um, and there's not like there's a guy there that say, "Hey, buy this or buy that." Um, so that's what we do differently, right? We merchandise it in a way that um, all the beers and and when I say all, there could be two hundred in a segment. Um, so the slap fight from Monday night, it's a great beer, but how does it stand out relative to all of these others? But that's, that's where I come in or, or one of my team members. So, um, not only we merchandise it, so it makes sense for the customer, but we're also there to, to literally provide that beer advice, that advice channel. Tell us about who this craft beer drinker is. Do you have a sense of, cause I imagine in order to create an experience, you have to have a sense of who that person is. Okay. So he has a curly mustache and, uh, <laughs> and a funny hat, um, big beer belly. Um, so I, I'd love to dispel the myth and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question by, by asking, maybe, I mean, I may only ask Jonathan cause he's probably the only one who's read it. There's an interesting article recently, uh, by Ale Sharpton, one of our beer writers in our community about whom the craft beer guy is. And I think, I think the myth out there is that he, he, he is a hipster and he, he drinks coffee in the morning and then. In the evening, he switches at Starbucks. At, well, no, no never at no. Starbucks. No, no. I'm sorry. Oh, f- at Octane, would not okay. be caught dead at Starbucks. No, okay, that's for the mom. That's for the mom crowd. You know, that's that's not the hipster guy. Um, and yes, frankly, that guy is probably my customer, and I appreciate it. Uh, but at the same time, the craft. I'm I'm not that guy. Um, I'm 48, right? I have two kids. I'm I'm bald. You know, <laughs> I am I am, and I don't have a beer belly. Really, a little bit, but not too bad. Um, I'm I'm not that guy, uh, and our customer looks like almost everybody on the planet. Uh, I I think it crosses racial lines, it crosses gender lines, and it definitely crosses the hipster line. It's somebody who is just simply tired of drinking 
average or less than average beer and really wants to start that adventure and wants to go out and explore. And I also think it's someone who wants more story from the products they're consuming. So, you know, they want, they want to know more behind what they're putting into their bodies. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same that you see with kind of the farm to table movement, right? People trying to eat local and eat the best ingredients. So you're saying, seeing the same with beer. And so the craft beer drinker tends to be kind of some of the same people. So Jonathan, would you agree with this, um, trend that Craig was just talking about in terms of creating an experience for, for people, for the consumer? as a way of differentiating yourself from, you know, some brand that we all know, two buck chuck, I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I, as a, as a manufacturer, I uh, rarely think of it as deeply as uh, Craig does, but hearing him articulate that, I, yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, from my end, you know, we have to do slightly different things. Mm. Well, tell us about that because I, I am very curious about how you've been able to be successful in what is such a crowded crowded space. Right. So it is a crowded space. There are over 4,000 breweries in America right now, uh, the most there have ever been. Um, And we're seeing kind of this hyper-local theme come about where people are drinking as local as possible. And, you know, yeah, that that could be Atlanta, but now you're seeing breweries crop up in places like uh, Macon and Kennesaw and... uh, places I've never heard of. Omaha. <laughs> Omaha, Georgia was what I was going to bring up. Wow. Which is literally, you have one stoplight town, so this is a one-stop sign town. Wow. So uh, the first thing we have to do is make sure that we're um, focused on our geography, right? The second thing we have to do is, and I was talking to a, a Bell's, Bell's Brewery employee about this, um, is service. The number of taps in bars isn't necessarily increasing. Um, and it's definitely not increasing at the same rate that the number of breweries are increasing. So Bell's has been around for a long time. It's a brewery out of Michigan. Um, he said he used to go around and, uh, you know, you'd go to a bar, you'd see eight taps, and you'd see kind of four of those taps that shouldn't have been there, right? They weren't great beers. Uh, maybe the styles didn't fit the bar. Now you go into that same bar with the same eight taps, and every single one of those beers is amazing. Um, so it's harder and harder to um, get on tap, which is in in my industry kind of the first um, line of defense <laughs> or the first line of offense, I guess, to gaining a customer. Um, and once you get them on tap, then you you know you hopefully they'll go to a, a hop city and uh, purchase that six pack and bring it home. But um, because it's so tough in the bars now. Um, we have to differentiate ourselves on service. So we hire more sales reps than, um, you know, technically we might need, definitely than other breweries have per kind of the barrel of beer that they sell. So, you know, we're trying to form relationships directly with the people who are purchasing the beer, knowing that if something comes up, uh, if we can be kind of the first to react, if we have a pulse on their business, then um, we'll we'll put ourselves in a good spot. And how much is the the differentiating the product itself? Because I noticed that your branding is also excellent, right? Excellent right. branding, you know, kind of excellent packaging. Does that matter? Or to what extent does that matter? Or is that are those just table stakes? So Craig's going to have a, a great opinion on this as well, but I'm going to jump in before he he does. Brand and product both matter. I will say brand is going to get someone to buy the product the first time product 
is going to get someone to buy it again. Um, so brand's going to be the, the thing that people are drawn to first, but it's got to be a good product inside. Differentiating brand, I think, is probably more important than differentiating product. Just because with over 4,000 breweries, and each one of those breweries has multiple beers, I mean, there's only so much differentiating differentiation of product left like there's <laughs> there's only so many frontiers left across i uh, mean do you think that there's a such thing as like like a a beer that like you know how in wine with wines they're like oh there's this wine and it's like the best wine ever and now it costs like four hundred dollars because it's oh like there is wine. that beer yeah right? yeah for sure that beer is out there um and i'm gonna agree completely with jonathan said but at the same time i think he's being slightly humble he has all right, so I'm friends with every brewer in town. and How many are there? Well, right now, in, in Georgia, there's 47 okay. breweries. So I, had 40, I have exactly 47 friends. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, it's up from 46 the last time I saw you. <laughs> it's true. I have one more friend. Um, but I, the reason I invited Jonathan, not just because he and I have been friends for quite some time, but I think, I think now the bar is such that you can't put bad product out there. You cannot make liquid that doesn't taste good. Okay, because if you do, you won't be around. Uh, so the bar has been raised. Back, I would say when we opened seven years ago, there was a lot of beer out there that that was okay. It wasn't amazing, uh, but I think a lot of those brands have washed out of the market. Um, and when I say brands, that the the, the brewery is probably still around. However, the the not so good beer, they they don't make that one anymore. Uh, their their R and D team has created better, newer, funner beers. Um, and as Jonathan said, the, the frontier is getting smaller and smaller. There's so many new things you can do. But what really does set you apart, whether it is a tap handle or a package on a shelf, is the branding. Um, so let's assume that... And you brought it cold. Talk about service. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. cheers to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, um, Jonathan, and he has a business plan. Uh, a lot of my that's very clear, right? A lot of my brewery friends are are artists. They make amazing beer, um, but they don't necessarily. They didn't have a five year plan when they opened. So Jonathan not only had a five and a ten year plan, but he also figured out this is my image and this is my lifestyle that I've, I'm I'm going to put out to the public. And I have to say, for listeners, like very brand consistent, right? Like, sorry about the hipster thing. Very much hipster. <laughs> like you just fit it, right? Like it's just great. Well, the I'll say the easy thing about developing our brand is the brand is basically me and my two business partners. So it's it's Are easy. They you just kind of look in the mirror. They want to be. I'm the, <laughs> I'll say I'm the coolest and I'm the best looking and I'm the funniest. Yeah. You have a great beard. Thank you. I love Did it. Did you say beer or beard? Both, but okay. I said beard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I where to go from that, really. <laughs> um but yeah, it, it, he he has a great branding, consistent branding, and um, and and he's right. So those same eight taps around town, they used to have four macro beers and four, probably two local beers and then two national good brands. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so maybe now, maybe one of those is a macro anymore. Um, the the on premise accounts, the bars and restaurants around town have figured that out. Mm -hmm. Um, the average consumer. All right, so craft beer. Um, the reason the segment itself has been so successful is craft beer on the West Coast, where they were, they're probably still 10, 10 15 years ahead of us. Um, that has, they've grown to 45% saturation in our segment. Up, I mean, here we're still at 90% macro drinking, 10% craft. They're 55% they're macro, 45% craft on the West Coast. So that's the segment we live in. 
And that's why you've seen 1,200 breweries become 4,000 breweries. That's um, also why you've seen some breweries that perhaps aren't making the best beer still see growth and, and be successful. True. A rising tide, I mean, they'll, you know. Exactly, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, but anyway, it, it's true. And, and there are brands that probably shouldn't be around. And maybe if, if there's a flushing out of our market that they won't be. But, mm -hmm. but for now, they're doing well. But I, I still believe that the, the, the quality of the average beer uh, in the craft segment is way higher than it was seven years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you said something that I, I love. You said one of my favorite words, which is business plan, because, um, you know, I'm a strategist by by profession. And so that's very, very interesting to me. And I noticed from the moment that you started speaking that, yeah, you have a great beer and beautiful packaging or whatever, but obviously, you know your business very well. So one of the things that I think is particularly interesting for both of your businesses that a lot of CEOs that I work with and speak to struggle with is this notion of competitive advantage or how to differentiate themselves. And in fact, I was talking with an investment banker last week about how important that is for building long-term value in the business. So tell listeners a little bit about your approach to either before you started the business, how you started to design that competitive advantage and get niched like you were talking about, Craig, or how it evolved um, so that you can continue to, to grow your business and, and um, grow the brand. That, that's a great question. I, so I'm just a little bit about my background. I'm, um, I used to be a, a business owner in another business. I used to own collision repair facilities. And I, before that... And it I, made you have to drink. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd like to think of it as vertical integration, really. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm teasing. Um, we don't encourage that drinking, driving. No, no good. Um, in any event, so I, I've owned businesses before. And before that, I was a stockbroker, a financial advisor. We don't, stockbroker is not cool. You don't say that. Uh, but I was a financial advisor, financial, financial planner. So I spent many years putting plans together for other people. So I am not, I am the biggest craft beer nerd you'll ever meet, for sure. But, or at least one of them. Jonathan's a pretty big nerd. Too. You're, a, you're a huge nerd. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that. Um, but not only that, I'm a planner. So, uh, and a numbers guy. So long before there was ever a Hop City, there was a business plan for a Hop City and a, and a growth plan for a Hop City. Um, so Did I knew you hear that listeners, <laughs> the, you can't, I don't think you can open today a business on purely, um, enthusiasm alone. It's just not enough. You have to have a business plan. Um, what if you already have a website? <laughs> well, that does not count. That's a business. Um, in any, so there was a plan, uh, and, and the goal was, was to create that differentiation, but we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. So, so what we learned was the mar no matter how great you are at, at the retail game and, and what I do, the margins are just they're really tight. And to provide the bodies on the floor, the, 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 the enthusiasts, the beer nerds to help sell things, boy, that costs money. Uh, so, so people are expensive. So we had to figure out how to, how to up our margins to the point where we can actually sustain that. Uh, better yet, we knew we one store in this environment where Costco has, you know, 8 million stores. I, keep, I feel like I'm picking on them a little bit. I'm not really trying to. Um, they do a really nice job for what they do. I needed more than one store. One store was not by itself going to be enough. So we needed to put a footprint through Atlanta, and we also knew there were markets around uh, nearby towns like Birmingham, where we have our other store, that, that needed us too. And if we were going to do this right, I wanted to have 10 stores in, in 15 years. And we're, we're well on track for that. But to do all that, it was going to cost money. So what, <laughs> getting back to the, the point... Um, what we learned was we had to sell higher margin products. And if all I sell is beer and wine, what, how do I do that? So 
we really pushed hard early on for growlers. And that's because liquor is traditionally the higher margin of the products, right? It is. Liquor is, liquor is where, so in a traditional package store environment, liquor is the more expensive. It's the money suck, if you will, because the deals are, in some cases, thousands of cases. But if you buy that thousand case deal, you're buying it at such a low price that, and you can, you still, you're still charged, whether you buy a one case deal or a thousand case deal, you're still charging the same retail. Um, so it costs, it would have cost me if I had applied for a liquor license, roughly $800,000 more in capital to get started. And I don't know about you guys, I didn't have $800,000 extra. So, so we forewent the, the liquor, um, on purpose, knowing we, we just couldn't sustain that. And again, going back to the folks around town who were really good at liquor, um, I didn't think there was a need in the market for that. We're, we're because that same retailer that has 800,000 or maybe $8 million sucked into their liquor inventory. They couldn't be deep in what I do in, in the craft beer. They just didn't, there was no room on the floor for, for more liquor. They have thousands of cases of Jack Daniels sitting around. We, we knew we had to get higher margin products. So, so we were really um, key to getting the growler thing kicked off. We were the first place in town to do big jugs of fresh, fresh draft beer in town. And we fought for three years to make that a reality. And, uh, but the margins, frankly, are higher on that. So that was um, a real boost to our bottom line for, for, uh, for a couple of years. Now that, that trend has started to, to, as we suspected it would, um, started to peter out a little bit. It's definitely not the, the revenue source it was. Uh, so the next frontier for us was the on-premise world. So we wanted the ability to sell a, a, a pint of beer uh, to a customer, much like you would at a restaurant. So when we opened Birmingham three and a half years ago, Right out of the gate, we applied for an on-premise license. So if you go to the Birmingham store, which really has become the model for what we do, you can buy a six-pack of Nerd Alert or Slap Fight, uh, take it home, enjoy it. But you can also settle up to the bar and get a beer. So we don't do food. We don't do anything like that. So we, you, can, you can do what I've done, which is uh, go grab a beer first, try it, see if you like it, and then bring home a six-pack of it if you do. Man, how about that? That's so crazy. It's almost uh, yeah. like you thought of that. Almost. <laughs> that's that, that's kind of the idea. Um, it's a tasting bar. It's, it's, it's a place to enjoy a beer. It's a place to meet your friends. And it's a place to go ahead and enjoy the, the retail experience as well with all that variety you, you, you would expect out of a Hop City. Hmm. And Jonathan, so what was your approach to differentiation? The first thing we did was actually start a blog before we launched. And we did that five years before we launched. Um, and so we were able to build up a fan base um, prior to launch. So when we did launch, we had, we sold out our launch event. We had 600 people <laughs> in this tiny little building and, uh, they wouldn't let my, uh, business partner's wife in because of fire code issues. I think having an audience that you can then use to poll and ask questions of and help really organically build the brand was key to us. Mm. Um, and you know, one thing we did with the blog was, uh, actually involved them in the creation of our beers and our brand. So um, we, you know, we'd have multiple versions of the logo. We'd say, hey, what do you like and why? Um, we actually had beer naming contests. So Patch Ale, which is uh, our best-selling IPA right now, um, though probably not for long, uh, was named by uh, someone who just commented on the blog. And getting people to engage and feel like they're a part of your brand early um, I think was was key to uh, our success. The the other thing we we did was start very small and focus on Atlanta and focus on on premise. So we were draft only for a year and a half. 
So we're we're sorry, Craig. We <laughs> well, no, you we we did our launch. He opened his brand retail at Hop City on the on the Growler station. So. That's right. We sold Growlers, right? Because those are those are off of kegs. But we had we were keg only for a year and a half, um, knowing that we wanted to focus our time and energy in building um, the brand there before we um, started biting off this completely other. Uh, piece of the business, which is, you know, a very different beast for us, which, you know, the, the, the world of convenience stores and uh, Walmarts and, and package stores, um, very different from working with bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for that. Very interesting. We're going to talk now a little bit about the relationship between the two of you and how you supported yourself in business. Cause I think that that's really important. You know, no, none of us does it on our own. Right. So, Craig, you said that you met Jonathan when he was a home brewer. That's correct. In fact, um, I, th- I think I officially met Jonathan when he interviewed me for his blog, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. You were actually the first retailer interview we did. Yep. And um, it was, we actually had a lot of fun. We, we did it up at Five Seasons, which is my next door neighbor, and um, on the rooftop there in an evening, and uh, just really had a good time with it. Mm. And so I knew right away I liked the guy. So, And so tell me a little bit about like what, you think has made the relationship work and why you think it's been material to your business? So I frequently tell my, my 47 brewer friends, since we've ascertained that's how many friends I have, that um, I don't have a business without them. Um, and I think ultimately in my business, every retailer has to embrace that. Um, it doesn't really matter how good you are at your job. If, if Jonathan sucks at his job, I, I don't have a business. Um, so I really encourage my breweries to um, to be good at what they do because I it's important to me. So that's one reason I've been good at my job is that I'm he's the closest brewery to me, um, geographically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we're already buddies too. Um, if he does a good job and markets his beer and gets his public energized, that's going to be good for me. Um, and and I'm going to so in fact I I'd like to think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but I'm probably the number one seller of Monday night beer in the world. Outside of his anything he does at the airport, airport's always a, a wild card. Mm. But, are you in the airport? Uh, we are. Okay. Wow. Yeah, airports sell a lot of beer. Yeah, I bet uh, it's because they sell it at eight a.m. Like we're drinking now. <laughs> <laughs> That's true because it's five o'clock somewhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, it, I'm I'm sure. Other than that, I'm probably the number one seller of, of Monday Night Product. But it's partly because he's done a great job of marketing his beer, and like you said, he's engaged his public. They know I'm very close to the brewery. They also know I'm part of that neighborhood. They buy it from me. Hmm. I, I think for us, actually, what keeps me coming back to Craig beyond his dashing good looks is... Uh, That's not sarcastic. <laughs> is how honest he is. Um, and he's he's very opinionated as well. And if you get a couple of beers in him, he'll be very honest. Okay, well, so one uh, down, one more to we're, go. We're working on it. Exactly. So, so he actually helped us develop our recipes we'd come in with um a beer and say hey craig what do you think of this do you think this would sell and he'd give us very frank feedback that sometimes made me cry into my pillow at night but (laughs) i think made us better for it so we we and that's it's really rare to find in this industry you always you know we make the beer and then we give it to someone and if you're looking at them there it's hard to get them to tell you something bad about it right so it's uh refreshing to be able to come to craig and know that he's going to give us the the straight scoop no pun intended. It's refreshing. Yeah. But it's true, though. Um, so I've been accused of being way too honest. And I, I, I don't really take that as an insult. I, um, You're the Simon Cowell of craft beer. <laughs> I suppose I am. Because uh, he's, he's right. You go to a tasting event, and 
Um, Everybody's like, it's great. Oh, it's so good. Um, and a lot of times it, it isn't. It isn't. Or it's good, but it's not. It could be better. Um, and like I said, I he's a friend, and I, I think he deserves honesty. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean he already knows I'm, I'm his biggest fan. So, I mean, he doesn't need another fan. Uh, what he needs is an honest dose of how do I make this better? What it also sounds like is there's this this community that you are a part of and like have, are both investing in. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So so seven years ago when we opened, the craft beer community in Atlanta was, I, I could almost name everybody in it. Um, and, when, and if you open a retail store that's dedicated to that, that's almost a bad thing. Um, <laughs> oh, look, all 18 of our customers are here. Um, uh, trust me, the first, first year or two was a challenge, but, um, but I believed. Um, we, we agreed, our, our whole point was to try to make more fans. But yes, it's a community and it's um, a lot of the folks that are really into it have um, are space online and mm-hmm. sort of, um, I think like Reed Ramsey and, and we already talked about uh, Dennis Ale Sharpton. Um, they've, they've done a great job of, of helping expand that community, sort of be like the, the pilgrims for what we do. Mm. Um, and I, I love that. And I think having great retailers uh, like us and having great producers like Jonathan have really furthered that cause dramatically. I'll, I'll say it's a very interesting industry because uh, no one goes to school thinking, I'm going to own a brewery or you know, I'm going to run a store. They think I'm going to get into finance or I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. So you end up with the, these people that have entered the industry from other industries. And so you end up with this very diverse, interesting group of folks who um, it's very easy to <clears throat> sit down and learn something from everyone. And, and Jonathan, why did you pick this? Right. So you decided that you were going <clears> to <throat> build this community, obviously, before you even chose which, you know, to, to manufacture beer. And why, why this community and why not something else? So my background... And did you know that it was going to end up turning into your kind of life, your, you know, your life and your profession? Absolutely not. Okay. No. Um, my background is in marketing strategy consulting. Ah. So uh, I made PowerPoints for a living for large CPG companies. Um, <laughs> I was really good at it, though. And uh, so I love marketing. That's kind of my passion. Um, I fell into home brewing um, and then started kind of realizing, you know, what goes into making beer and how that's actually really interesting. And then looking around and saying, you know what, B- beer is very much branding. They're almost the same thing, um, selling beer and branding. So uh, beer is a very fun product to brand. It gave me kind of an opportunity of, of creative expression and to have a little bit more control over uh, over what I was doing. So that's kind of how I fell into it is is through marketing. Hmm. And when did you decide along the way to turn the community into something that would, um, you know, actually generate income? So probably three months into home brewing back hmm. in 2006 is when we first had the inkling that this might be a really fun day job. I will say every person who home brews um, thinks that at some time. Some just take it way too far, <laughs> like me. That's totally true, by the way. E- everyone who walks into homebrew, um, within the third recipe is like, hey, I think I could do this. I think I've got something here. <laughs> I'm going to call it my basement homebrew. So actually, three months in is when we f- developed our first business plan, which was uh, a, you know, a one-pager. <laughs> which is great. I mean, what, whatever it takes, it's, that's, that's really good. So I hear a couple themes. Um, so certainly there's this notion of building the community and there's a lot of symbiosis um, in your relationship. You know, you mentioned honesty. 
And then there's also, you know, this um, kind of mutual give and take and, and contribution. One thing that is of interest to me, though, and I was talking with Jonathan a little bit before, is there's a distributor that's between the two of you, right? What? You know, in in the uh, in the chain. And so how does that relationship or where do the distributors fit in this market? So that that's a, a contentious question. And you're going to get different answers from um, every part of that. It's a three-tier system, we call it. So mm-hmm. um, tier one is the producer. That's Jonathan. Tier two is the distributor you just mentioned, and, and we're we're the bottom, we're the bottom feeders of the of the tier. Um, tier three. The distributors are the ham in our ham sandwich. In, <laughs> indeed. And so a lot of small breweries in particular start start out and are like, why the hell do I need a distributor department language? Why the heck do I need a distributor? Um, I, I don't see why I need this. It's an important part. They're they're really it, it's an integral part of the system, um, particularly for us. In fact, no one needs it more than a small brewery. Nobody wants to go out and, and hire a fleet, or, you know, buy a fleet of trucks and hire a bunch of guys to, to carry things. Um, there's a lot of money invested in that. And then, of course, you have to have a place to warehouse all your product. Oh, my goodness, it gets expensive very quickly. So distributors is, is super important to the business. I think where it becomes contentious, and, and so I'm, I'm not on record. I am very much in favor of the three-tier system. I, I see the point of it. I don't have a problem with it. However, I will say that historically, that the that middle tier, the distributor tier, tends to be the most profitable of the three segments. It's also the, the one... The middleman is always the most profitable. No, not always, but but certainly in this case. Um, and more importantly, they're also the ones who are the best financed from having been around for so long. Uh, so essentially, that three-tier system came out of the end of Prohibition. And there's a great there's some great books on it. You should look it up. It's, it's, it's a fantastic... Particularly in Georgia, it's a fantastic history of... Um, um, some sometimes sorted history of of how the distributor network was created in Georgia, um, but because they're so well financed, they tend to be um, most successful at getting the, re- the the legislation pushed through that benefits them. And we could do a whole nother show on the fight that craft beer has had in the state of Georgia and Alabama, for that matter. So I don't want to get too far into that. But th- yes, there is that middle tier. Uh, that would be an interesting third seat at this table, um, and I'm sure they have a very unique perspective on the business. But um, I feel like we've spent seven years trying to create, our, or trying to improve upon our our distributors, particularly from a knowledge standpoint. So when I opened, and you know, people literally, I was told I, w- I would be out of business in six months by my distributors, not because, well, specifically because they didn't see the benefit of craft beer, they didn't see why they needed a store like me. They just felt like they would sell all that, uh, and again, not to pick on anyone in particular, Budweiser, Miller, whatever, pick your poison. Oh, well, you know, the convenience store down the street just sells, they sell 40 case of PBR a week. I don't know why you need to be around. Where we would might sell a case of this or a case of, maybe we'd sell two six packs of something a week. Um, they, they didn't get it. And I think many of them, most of them at this point have figured out, oh my goodness, craft beer is a, it can be a lucrative segment and, I, and it can, um, I see now the benefit of having you know, 80 brands instead of two brands. Um, so I don't know if you feel the same way, Jonathan, but uh, but I've seen a, a dramatic 180 degree shift in the way they look at craft beer. So we developed our, our business in Georgia knowing the laws that we were working with. And so, you know, our, we developed our business plan to always include distributors. Um, and so, you know, we're very pro distributor, right? I, as Craig said, I don't want to own a fleet of trucks. For us, a distributor is uh, a way to, it's kind of an extended sales force, an extended service network. Um, going back to uh, the, the service aspect that I mentioned, our, the distributor we chose gives some of the best service in the industry. 
it's also a way to get the product into stores, right? And so, you know, we, we build the brand, um, they get it into the right places, and then we trust that uh, the Craigs of the world are going to get it into the hands of the uh, thirsty consumers. Wonderful. Well, you mentioned a new store, Craig. Yeah. Tell us where that is. So we, uh, we recently announced uh, about a month ago that we'll be opening our fourth location in Alpharetta up in the Avalon, the phase two of Avalon. Uh, and this is, so I think we've settled into the Hop City model, which is combination retailer on-premise. Um, now, Avalon is such, it's kind of a weird, unique beast. And we kind of love that. I, honestly, I, I get bored very easily. So I always want to take on a new challenge. So my Avalon challenge, we're not going to actually have very much, if any, retail presence there at all. It's going to be on-premise, so a, a bar, if you will. Um, but we're also going to do food there, which is exciting. It's my first foray into that world. But I'm smart enough to partner with a restaurant guy because <laughs> I, I don't want to be the guy in the kitchen, you know, slinging the hash. Got it. And Jonathan, is there anything new and exciting happen at Monday night that you want to let us know about? Well, we just won a silver medal at the uh, World Beer Cup, um, which is one of the two largest beer competitions in the world, the Ooh. other being Great American Beer Festival. And I imagine it's not that somebody has to drink the most beer. In, in oh, the no. Jonathan drank the most beer. Second okay. most beer. He was a silver medal. <laughs> I, dr- I drank the most. I drink most Jameson after winning that award. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the award actually for? Is it for... It's for one of our beers, uh, Laissez-Faire, which is um, a wheat wine that's been aged in Cabernet barrels mm. uh, for almost a year. And it's delicious. Well, that's why it won an award, Craig. Indeed. So um, we've actually won three awards between the World Beer Cup and, and Great American Beer Festival in the last three years. Um, no other Georgia brewery has won more than one in that Ooh. time span, which I'm not, I'm not throwing down the gauntlet, but I am. We're pretty focused on, on kind of new product development right now. We have a, a, our first lager coming out in July, um, which will be super nerd. Um, <laughs> nice. We're basically making it for Craig. Uh, it'll be a 7.5% Pilsner. True Pilsner. I expect my silhouette on the can. Not only that, you're gonna, he's going to be really honest about whether or not he likes it. Oh, he will. And he can't, his tolerance is very low for someone who's in craft beer. So <laughs> a 7.5% beer, he's not going to be able to drink much of anyway. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I just got called out. <laughs> That's funny. Well, guys, it's been great having you on the show. If people want to get in touch with you to find out how they can get Nerd Alert or Slap Fight or anything else that a Monday Night um, Brewing puts out, how can they do that, Jonathan? So our website's mondaynightbrewing.com. Um, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Monday Night. We are on Instagram as Monday Night, and we are on Snapchat as Monday Night Brew. And I don't know how that works, but someone else does that for us. <laughs> and Craig, if they want to, what they want to go to Hop City, how do they? How do they find out about you? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to kind of go to the same direction. Uh, HopCityBeer.com is our website. Uh, all three, uh, currently three locations, are available that way. Um, and uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know if we're on Snapchat, honestly, um, but we ought to be. Um, and then. Um, uh, Facebook's also a great way to reach us too. Uh, now, my challenge to all the CEOs that might potentially be listening: uh, we love corporate sales. Um, you know, we we are some of our best customers are our corporate customers, places like Coke and and uh, Google and what have you. Um, thank you guys. Um, but yes, corporate orders, whether it's a, a office kegerator or your office party, or oh, they can come to your new location and have an office party, and they can for sure up in Avalon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not till next April, though. Okay, so don't come yet. All right, good. Come to the brewery until then. <laughs> great. Thanks, guys. 
This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.